Welcome to Your Hell Yes Life, the podcast where we deep dive into the unique lives and lessons of courageous women who've made brave decisions to trailblaze their hell yes lives. I'm your host, Zaya B, change leader, explorer, artist, and cheerleader for women kicking should to the curb. Today's episode is going to take us on a transformative journey with extraordinary guest, Krishna Chowdhury, from shy girl in India to bold leader in Portugal. But before we jump in, let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep yearning to impact the world, to serve in a way only you can, yet maybe it feels too big, too scary, too out of reach? I get it. I had the same desire for decades until I started the Your Hell Yes Life movement. Krishna had the same calling to change the world, surprisingly from when she was a child. Want to know how she did it? What skills and lessons led her to where she is now living out her mission? Get ready, because she shares it all in this episode. With me today is Krishna Chowdhury, the founder of Quinta das Patas in Colares, Portugal. And that's where I met her, at this magical, magical farm school that she's created. Thank you so much for welcoming me. So my first interaction with your place was from the outside. For those of you who are regular listeners and you've already listened to Yaska Underwater's recording with me, and if you haven't, please go. She is truly a magical being. But if you have, the first time I heard Yaska perform, I then drove her to where she was staying. And where was she staying? at the Quinta. So that's where I first heard about it. And then I got to go. And I attended various events there. It is just extraordinary. I have traveled all over and it's special moments that stick with me. And what Krishna and, and Quinta Dashpatas offered to me is something that will stay in my heart always. And I think you're going to get a taste of that today. So why don't we just jump in because I know you've had a fascinating life story, you reinvented yourself a few times. And I know that people are going to get inspired by this. Can you share a little bit about your move from Delhi to England? What drove that? What you were doing? What you were thinking? I grew up in India and I left home fairly early, just after university, which in those times was not common for Indian women. You left home to get married or you left home if you really needed to leave to study further, but you didn't leave home to start working or have jobs in other countries, which is pretty much what I did. So already from the start, it was slightly unconventional. I went to London and I did my master's there in global politics at the London School of Economics and then got myself a job working in the field of corporate responsibility. So I always had this feeling that I want to change the world. I think it was from the time I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, I just knew I had to change the world in some way, but I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to do it. So... For me, working in a big company, but in an area like corporate responsibility was a good way to do that. I guess one important part of my journey was that I was always really good at studies. So people had a lot of expectations for me to follow a very standard career path. So till I think about the age of 26, 27, I was pretty much on track for things like that. I was trying to do what I wanted to do, which is to change the world, but at the same time, live up to the expectations of everybody else. To know that you wanted to change the world at 10, when a lot of us at 10 are outside playing, having fun with our friends and barely even aware that there is a world out there, let alone wanting to change it. And so I just want to stick with that a bit because it feels core to who you are. 
If you can explain a little bit more around how that came up, if you have a sense of where it arose from. Well, I think if you grow up in a place like India, where you're surrounded by luxury and poverty that are in equal measure all around you, you do start questioning a little bit of life. These thoughts came up almost naturally. Like, why is it that I have, not that I had luxury, I had a fairly basic kind of life and upbringing, but you're also confronted with children who are three or four years old, but living on the streets or having to work in order to help their parents or people without limbs begging on the street. It's just as a normal human being, our hearts are filled with compassion and with empathy. And it is something that I feel like I have quite a bit of. In my childhood, I was called very sensitive. So it was kind of almost looked down upon. Don't be so sensitive because if you're so sensitive, you'll get hurt easily. But now I consider that my strength, which is that I was a child and I'm all, I am an adult with a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy in my heart. And when you have that and you're surrounded by the different ways in which people live and the different cards they've been dealt with, you do start questioning. So why? How was I chosen to have this life? while somebody else was chosen to have another life. It's a very deeply profound thing to observe throughout your childhood. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because many of us have had more sheltered upbringings. I appreciate what you're sharing, that it is part of who you are, but then the circumstances that you were in were very unique and made it even that much more obvious. Just going back to one other thing that you said, it's unusual for Indian women to have done that. Does that come back to just who you are, that you've always been a, I'm following my own, hell yes, and I'm off? What motivated you to do things that were that different? I think if I had to really come down to it, I'm quite fearless in my approach to life. It's not that I'm not anxious. It's not like I'm sure all the time. But at the same time, I've never let fear win over my decisions. And I think that's since I was a very, very young child. I was a shy child, and yet... I was in the debating society in school. So this meant me preparing, going up on stage and public speaking to large audiences. In India, every audience is a large audience. So <laughs> it started all the way there. It was one of the things that I think my mom also cultivated in me. Just don't be afraid. Fear is a liar. And I love this line I say to everybody. The action of fear is to create more fear. So why would you want that? Mm. Just go ahead and... Do what you want to do, even if it scares you. So I've tried as much as possible to live my life like that. And it, so far, I think it's, it's always worked out. That's wonderful. And so as you feel the fear come up, because it sounds like you said that it does still come up. What do you do? These days, every time fear comes up, I know that I have to do the opposite of what fear is telling me will go wrong. So... What you need to do is you need to fight that fear at all points of time and you need to find love. So if I was coming back to what's human life for, I think you can look at it like a game in which that's all you really need to do. You need to fight fear and you need to find love, fight fear, find love, fight fear, find love. And that's what it's about. So I like it when fear comes up. It came up when you asked me for a podcast. I was like, no, I'm not the kind of person who likes to put myself out there. And it's, it's uncomfortable for me. Should I do it? I've got this thick Indian accent. It's going to sound weird on a podcast. But I said, no, all that is fear. That means I have to do the opposite. So I just went ahead and said, 
Well, hell yes, in a way. And these days fear is fun for me because I really have so much trust and faith that the, that the world is a friendly place for me. It's not a hostile place. And so as long as I keep choosing love, good things will happen. Like I just have that optimism, almost delusional optimism. I think we need t-shirts. Fear is fun. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. And I just, I like that sensation. I may choose to disagree with the fight because I feel like when you're fighting fear and you're pushing against what you resist persists, maybe welcome it and, and like love it or, or have fun with it or something like that. Yeah. So I'm going to hold on to that one. When I feel fear, I'm going to see if I can have fun with it. So thanks. Going back to your story, we left you in London working in corporate social responsibility. And then if you could just take us from there to Portugal. Yes. So I, I had a, a pretty good corporate career. It was short lived because I was only in my mid twenties during that time. But I think I was fairly on the right track as people would define the right track. I think I was doing really well for myself. I was earning well. Living in London, I had a good life, good set of friends. I was on a corporate path. My boss loved me. I was going to get promoted soon enough. And I was working in, in areas that would be cool and, and exciting for most people. In, but I could feel a deep sense of dissatisfaction inside me. I really wanted to change the world still. And I didn't feel that this was the way I was going to change the world. And it has a lot to do with the way corporations work and, and the limited capacity that they have to have a direct impact on the lives of people. So it, it didn't feel like I was doing as much as, as my capacity was. I felt like I could do so much more. I have so much talent and so many things to give. I felt like I could still contribute to the world in a different way. So at some point, and usually these kind of Points of change in my life are signaled by some sort of depression or a really low period. So when I'm doing something that I don't feel is completely right for me, I mentally I'm just not able to cope really well with it. So I, I take it as a sign that something needs to change. And, you know, I always had this life in which children would just keep coming up to me and they would start talking to me. They would sit next to me. I was just one of those people who a magnet for little kids and I felt like that was saying something to me but a lot of my life I had wanted to become a teacher but because my grades were so good and because I was a high achiever and a good performer it was not a career that was open to me because teaching at that time and unfortunately in many parts of the world still is a career that people who it's assumed that it's people who don't really want to have a full-time corporate job. They should take a teaching career or want to dedicate time to family. They should have a teaching career. Actually, teachers are the most important people in this world. That is my firm opinion. But it wasn't something that young, intelligent women who are overachievers are encouraged to actively do. I had this thing with children going on. I was like this magnet. I'd always wanted to become a teacher. And now I was a slight grown-up. Nobody was really watching me. <laughs> so I decided to rebel. And I, I left my job. Actually, I went on a sabbatical. I didn't quite leave it. Uh, I was going to teach <laughs> preschool children, which is children under the age of seven. 
under this fascinating method of alternate education, which is called Montessori method. It's a beautiful way to introduce children to this world. So I did the training course and then I had a decision to make, should I go back to my corporate job, which paid me quite well? Should I take, I think it was one sixth pay cut and go and become a preschool teaching assistant because I wouldn't even become a teacher with a new qualification. And once again, like I, I chose the opposite of what fear was telling me to do. And I did become a preschool teaching assistant. I can't say it was smooth for me because it was a big pay cut and it was a bit uncomfortable starting at the bottom again. And sort of also, there is a little bit of how people perceive you, right? Most people were just completely confused as to why I would do what I did. But at the same time, I just absolutely loved what I did. So I worked with children under the age of six. It was an environment that that was just the vibration of love because that's the only vibration they know, even if they're throwing a tantrum, even if they are sort of getting really angry, it's still within the vibration of love. They are as connected to the divine as you possibly can be. And I got to spend my whole day just doing that. So in a way, that was just the payment for, I wasn't money, but it was in one sense, it was a payment for spending my day and working really hard because all teachers work much harder than you can imagine. They work at nights. They're constantly thinking of the children in their classrooms. I also taught yoga to children. I ran a small business and employed teachers who were teaching yoga to children. And that was really satisfying to me as well because my family, my grandfather, everybody has a very strong connection with yoga. So to be able to share that with young children in some way so that it kind of gets absorbed in their subconscious. And when they grow older, they kind of go back to something like that. It was deeply satisfying as well. But mostly it was just the most fun time of my life. I think it was just hanging out with little kids all day. There was <laughs> nothing better I could do. I, it took people a while to get used to this new me. And I think most people thought I'm, I'm not doing the right thing. But for me, I, I don't think I ever questioned it because I just had so much fun. And I never thought about, like, was that the right decision? No, it, it just never came up. It was just, it worked. It, I was doing what I felt like doing. I was happy. I was alive. Kudos to you. I mean, talk about a hell yes. And I do need to do a side shout out that, yes, my mom has a master's in early childhood education. She was a kindergarten teacher for many, many years and then a director of a daycare center. So she also is a very driven, smart woman who dedicated herself to educating the little ones. So I have a different perspective, I think, than the broader population, like you say, and I absolutely saw how hard she worked. I also just want to pull out a few themes here because there's so many things that you said that are so key to a hell yes life. First of all, you took this courageous, seemingly crazy change from a highly paid job, not to a consultant role or something similar, but to one-sixth the pay in a completely different field because that's what your heart was pulling for. And then to say, and I was happier than ever, shows that choosing aligned with your heart and soul is the path. And yes, there are financial things that we need to consider. We still do live in a world that requires money to get food, to get shelter. But you also touched on that trust, that things just show up, that it works out. And then the other things that you talked about 
were the other people's reaction. And I think that can be hard that when other people around us are questioning us, that can then sometimes start to think like, wait, am I making a mistake? It's in these big leaps that we need support to help with the transition. And if other people around us are questioning it, it is just that much more challenging. And I just really honor you for continuing to just step in and say, nope, this is what feels right. This is what I need to do. I know it doesn't make sense logically. And often a hell yes does not make sense logically. It's just what feels right. What is right for me? What is aligned for me? It's not what society says. It's not what your head says. It's not what you think you should do. It's what you want to do. And it's what you were saying is not following the fear or following the love. Exactly. If I could add to that. It, yeah, absolutely. It's also not following the need for approval. Approval is a very deep word. It, it's not even just of people closest to us. It's of the general community at large. It's what expectations are there from us. It's also our own sort of idea of what our life was supposed to be and our own approval of our choices. So if you get rid of fear and then you also manage to get rid of the need for approval, you'll definitely flow really well. It, well, that's my experience till now. Yeah, those are some very big layers of that onion that you're peeling. And thank you for calling that out because it's true. It's not just those around us. It's everybody that you're meeting, right? And so to stand in, this just feels right. And to not give in to the pressure of that's what you want to do. Who cares if people think it's a crazy job? So thanks for reinforcing that. I want to get back into Portugal and your inspiring story. So you ended up going from having a business in London to being a farmer in Portugal. Can you share about that journey, please? Yes. So I was happy enough. Like again, in London, I had what everybody thought I should have because by that time I had a successful business. So I was making decent money as well. I was employing people, teachers who would work for me. I had my own children. They were going to successful private schools. So I had again, the setup that everybody's aiming for, the one that gets you a pat on the back to say, ah, so you had this detour, but you made it in the end. Ah, we knew you'd figure it out and come back. <laughs> but I, again, I, I felt like this wasn't the place I was supposed to live, uh, as amazing as it was. And so as soon as the kid's father, he decided to move to Portugal or the fact that he was open to it, I started looking quickly at places that I can rent and what can we do? Where can the children go to school? It really moved very quickly. And initially the plan was that we were going to rent and then we'll slowly move. But I don't know what happened. I had this crazy idea in my head that I was tired of working with children in basements and in really closed setups that I had in London. And I wanted to have a place where children could kind of be free range, be outdoors, be completely connected to nature. And so I thought I'm going to buy a farm. And again, it was just a crazy idea. I'm going to buy a farm in Portugal because property prices would definitely be lower there. But the idea was, oh, it will happen in two years or three years. So that was the idea. When I started looking for farms, I just said, okay, I'll go and check out a farm that's in this area called Kolarich, which is considered very beautiful, but it's further away. It's really the countryside. It's not really the place where foreigners come and live. It's not the place where you raise your kids because it's slightly the back of beyond in a way. 
in some perspective. This was a long time ago. Polaris has changed dramatically since then. And I found one farm. And so I landed up on this farm to view it. I had no intentions of buying it. But as soon as I stepped onto the farm, I saw this little tree house next to a tree. And something about that tree house made me feel like, oh my God, I'm home. I'm still getting goosebumps while talking about it. I'm, I'm home or this is just so familiar. So I didn't understand where that was coming from, but it was familiar. And as I was walking around, I was in love. It was like, wow, this is, this is amazing because it's got really spectacular views of the hills all around it. It's, it's just got this vibe that's full of love and it really resonated quite highly with me. And there was this calmness and peacefulness, quite contrary to my life and home in London. But I just, yeah, I fell in love. Anyway, I decided still that I'm not, no, this is not the place that we can buy. It's too far. It's too early. We haven't even moved to Portugal. How can we buy a place that's so far away? And then a series of strange coincidences happened. The owner of the farm called us in a few weeks and he said, look, I've got another offer, but make me an offer because I've decided I want to sell it to you and your family. And we were kind of surprised and we said, no, actually, we haven't sold our apartment in London. So I'm not really sure that we can buy it. Okay, let us see. We'll put our apartment up on the market and we'll see if we can get the money to you somehow in time for, because it could take six months, one year. We weren't sure if he was going to wait. And then as soon as we were starting to put our apartment on the market, the downstairs neighbor of that apartment put an offer on the apartment, which was higher than the asking price. And the whole sale went through really quickly. And it was kind of like this cascade of things that happened. And I didn't even realize what was happening. But before I knew it, I didn't know anything else about Portugal. Like I didn't know where my kids were going to school. I just knew I, I now own the farm in Portugal. <laughs> with a house. Like that, that was it. And so I love this story for myself because it's a story where I remind myself how I followed my intuition entirely. It was the most illogical move possible because it was far away from all the international schools. I didn't know much about the area. I'm not a happy driver. And it was a place that it was really remote. But I was just so happy and so sure that this house was where I was meant to live. And I'm just so glad that the universe kind of helped because it could have all been sort of in a way that I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to buy it, but it just kind of aligned. And before I knew it, I had it. And yeah, I, I moved here with my children. It's a big farm. It's about four acres. And my husband used to go back and forth to London because he was still working in London. It was just me and the kids and the house didn't even have lights on it. So we used to walk around with lanterns, even inside the house. And everybody used to say, aren't you scared? I moved in October. And at that time, Kolarish was completely dead in the winter. There was nobody here because it had a lot of holiday homes. And so just me in this darkness with my lantern and, and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, that was me. Yeah, yeah, that's the story of the moment. I love telling it because... If there's something that could tell people, follow your intuition, people, because you never know why the universe is sending you so much help and like so much feeling for a particular thing. 
just follow it because you never know where it takes you. And I couldn't have imagined it would take me to the place I'm sitting in right now, to be honest. Yeah, thank you so much. And Because I think there's two pieces there. It's following your intuition, but then the synchronicities that showed up. And th those are wild that they had an offer. And instead of accepting that offer, that they chased you down for the offer and that your other place sold so easily. And what you've created is then next level. And so I want to share about what Krishna has developed. Normally, you have to pay before you're even allowed to enter something. And her approach was, I took the class, and then at the end, it was like, oh, right, by the way, can you pay? And one of the events I went to was three euros. I had a 10 euro bill. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. Just come next time and pay next time. And it, that's the kind of thing that stands out to me, that it's not about the money, it's about the love, that it comes from such trust and a desire to serve and bring people together. That's really unique. It's not just a farm. It's not just a school. It's this approach that really warmed my heart and was such a beautiful model. I'm glad you felt that way. <laughs> yeah. And so how did you go from a house with lanterns to building a working school, a working farm with multiple buildings? That's no small effort. Yes. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I'm a deeply philosophical person. So like everything I, I say, it starts with the philosophy behind it. I think I always had it in me to be at service. I wanted to change the world and so on. But I still wasn't the person who can really change the world because I still hadn't lost the sense of self. So a lot of things happened in my first two years here in Portugal to completely break me down. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest being that my daughter was very seriously unwell and nearly died in the first year that I was here. I was taking care of her, so I was on adrenaline the first year. And the following year, it led to a big collapse in my mental health because it's very strenuous when you have an unwell child at home. And the grief of all of that, it kind of completely transformed me as a person. It came back again to the same question I'd been asking all my life. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we doing? And something like that when you're faced with with uh, the potential death of your child or that stress, I think it really brings up that question quite deeply. And that really transformed me to have a very different outlook on human life and what we are really here to do. And I came up with the reason that I have for living is to be at service and to keep my heart open and to help as many people as I can to keep their heart open. So that was my personal journey. And as I was coming towards the end of that grief and recovering from that journey, I had done the hard work. I had started meditation. I had taken care of my mental health. I had taken care of myself. As I was coming to the end of those two years, it was just like, boom, now you're ready. Here, take these people. And then people started appearing on the farm. Really strangely, people who were supposed to do things here on the farm, who were supposed to help me co-create what the farm would eventually end up being, without whom this farm would not be possible. So I had somebody who was almost like a magician with, <laughs> with farmland. He could create fawns and he could deal with animals and he could create animal shelters and for some reason, he was here in Kolaris and he was available and he liked the land and he was happy to work with me. And so he and I spent a long period of time just setting this up. We had very little money. 
because I, I don't have so much money. So we had a very tight budget. But he and I would innovate and we would go around all the garbage bins in the area, pick up all the things that we could reuse, we could create. And yeah, so we, we started setting up the farm primarily as a place where children can be welcome to learn outdoors. And along with him came this absolutely fantastic forest school teacher who had just moved here from the UK. And she was just looking for a place where she could spread her magic. And it kind of became a triangle between the three of us setting up this, this farm to welcome a lot of children. So I, there is none, no part of me that believes I did any of this because it was these people who came in and did their life's work. Yeah. But the good thing that I did was I said, yes. So I always say I'm like the gatekeeper or the guardian. That's all I can say. Mm. I'm the facilitator of people to come here and do the incredible work that is part of their life process. And how do I say that? Yes, is that I really follow my intuition and what feels right and what feels aligned. Um, and then after that came so many more people who were setting up this small bit and this small bit. People just kept coming. And it was with their generosity that this farm was set up. An example is the temple. It was, I didn't have any money. The, the farm never had extra money, especially in the setup years. One of the parents of one of the teenagers on the farm, she said, look, I just have this feeling that I want to create a temple. And I said, oh my God, I want to build a temple on the farm. And we didn't have money, but we said, okay, maybe we could do this. We could rent out this space and then the money could go into materials. And the rest of it, we'll just put in our own work. And she and I really worked hard at creating this offering to the community. Just a space where everybody is welcome, free. All the events and activities that happen in the temple are free. Because we realized that people really can't afford even 5 euros or 10 euros every week because it's 40 euros a month. And there need to be spaces that are given for community events that are completely free. The space is a non-profit, so it operates like a social enterprise. All the money that we make goes back into the farm, except for a very small salary that I take. So everybody has that ownership towards the farm. I want to help it grow because essentially what I did was I had this space and I said, yeah, this, this part of this space is my home, but the rest of it I'm going to share with the community. And then the community came in and said, okay, this is the way in which we can use it. And so we have everything from very little children, one and a half to four-year-olds, to slightly older, six to 11-year-olds, to teenagers, 13 to 16-year-olds that are all kind of calling this space home. And in addition to that, we know that it's a space where we can get together as a community we can sing together, we can chant together, we can do yoga together, we can eat together. It just it's the community space. It's a co-creation. But I don't take credit. One thing that I don't take away is that I, I made a lot of brave, bold choices. I didn't follow fear or the need for approval in my choices. Sometimes I took me longer than I should have to make a big, brave, bold decision because I was kind of scared at who I'd offend if I took that decision. But most of the time, I just took the right decision, welcomed the right people, and sort of 
did things in alignment with this overall vision of creating a genuine community space. And you have definitely done that. I mean, it really is just such a special place. As I walked out of the class and I'm, there's a goat walking by and there's little kids giggling in the background. And in my class, the older kids came in and took the class with me. It really, it has such a special feeling, especially for somebody that as an adult, I've only ever lived in apartments, which can be very isolating. I mean, yes, I'm living in the same building with other people, but we barely interact. As humans, we used to be in tribes. And so to have those beautiful community places that we come together, that we build together, really is, I think, just dreamy. So I, I really appreciate that. And I want to reinforce one other thing that you brought up was the support that shows up. I was in my mastermind last week, and I mentioned that I'm amazed at the support that's been showing up for me since I started the podcast, that it's support that I'm not even asking for. And one of my friends paused me and said, you know that you don't actually have to ask for all support, right? You know that the universe provides things, that people offer things. And it seems so simple. And yet for somebody that actually took quite a bit of effort to get to the point where I felt comfortable asking for support, the idea that it's just going to show up is life-changing. I mean, yes, it has shown up in the past, but it's showing up with such frequency and such grandeur these days that it really caught my attention. And I think that's what I needed as needed it to catch my attention to realize I'm not alone. I don't have to do everything on my own. We are here for each other. And I raise this because I think this is a story that a lot of people, especially a lot of women have, that we have to be tough. We have to do it alone. And maybe this is an American story. I don't know. But it is something that we carry. And I'm a single person. I can't even imagine the pressure if you're a mother and you have that story, how exhausting that would be. And so I just want to call out that when you are in alignment like that, that people show up and things are easier. And not to say that they're without challenge, not to say that they're always without fear, but to trust that those people are going to show up. And I'm going to ask you one other specific thing to share that I know about that you mentioned when it comes to the trust. You shared something that you do that's very simple when you need a little bit of extra money. And so can you just share when, you know, in order to cover the costs, you've had this very basic practice that you did to get some extra money. Did you share that? <laughs> I, for me, it's really simple. And I just take my shoes off. I go to some point in the farm and I just look up and I say, okay, I could do with some more money this month. And then I just sit back and I let go and I watch it appear. And I can't tell you, it always appears. It just it's like this. Sometimes I have some unexpected expenses, like with the tree work or something. And then as even before I'm starting to get stressed about making it all work, I do this little practice. And then people just turn up with generosity or somebody will put the yoga studio and that will generate enough money to cover the costs. And it's almost always worked for me. So yeah, that's the trick I say. Sometimes you have to ask also and not be shy of asking and not be shy of saying, hey, I can't do it all by myself. So how about sending me some help here? Yeah. Yes. Thank you for reinforcing that. I'm not saying that you should just wait for it to all magically show up. That to me, for my personal journey, that was the next level of trusting that it would show up even without having to ask. But yes, asking is still definitely part of the process as well. I just love the simplicity and the trust that goes with that and connecting in with the energy of the earth and who knows what else is going on, especially in your area, which 
there's all kinds of theories that there are vortexes and other very spiritual things going on in that general area. So considering you're at service and you have a vision to change the world, I'm curious if you have something else in mind. At this point in my life, I think where I've come to is that it doesn't really matter what you do. What matters is who you are. Mm -hmm. And another thing I like saying is, behold, I make all things new. So for me, that's a really powerful statement because I feel like you change yourself, you get yourself to a really high vibration. And then you just go out in the world and do what feels okay to do in that moment. For me, it's important that I wake up in the morning, I, I feel that love that's inside me, I spread it throughout the farm so that anybody who walks through that door connects with that vibration. And then as they walk out of that door, they carry it and they transmit it to everybody else that they meet. So I know it sounds a bit like, in, in Kulari, we're allowed to talk like this. In New Delhi, if I talk like that in the big city, my friends would be like, definitely lost it and lived too long in a village in Portugal and definitely <laughs> gone a bit cuckoo. But yeah, this is what I believe. So I believe my life's purpose is to keep working on myself and to keep my vibration high and to keep feeling unconditional love and to be that love. And then that will automatically touch everybody and everything that I touch. And who knows? For now, it's the farm. I do believe it is the farm. I believe I'll die here. This is what this is the joke I tell everybody, even though I want to die in a small one bedroom where there's no maintenance required. But <laughs> I believe that they will go back to <laughs> Well, maybe the maintenance will be taken care of. And so then you can say that there's no maintenance required. So yeah, then yeah. I have one standard question that I ask everybody. Women are often told to be humble, to not talk about what they've accomplished, not talk about who they are with pride. And I want to give people the chance to shine more and to really put the spotlight on themselves. So with the opportunity to get your brag on and talk about what you're most proud of, what would you like to share? I think for me, it would be that I, I don't let fear win and I, I really work hard on myself. Like I work hard on confronting my shadow and confronting my fears on areas in which I can be better. That no matter where I am, I don't rest. If I feel like there's something inside me that can be more loving, that can be kinder, that can be more at service. And I feel, I really genuinely, without fail, I feel like who I am right now, I know from where I started. And I know where I could have gone. And I know how deeply I work on myself, even in really uncomfortable times. And I feel myself now. I feel so much peace and I feel so much love. And for me, that's my biggest achievement, really. The fact that despite all that up and down, I was able to come to this point. And I don't think there's any going back. So it it will just get better and better from here in terms of this internal feeling. And yeah, that's what I'm most proud of. Thank you for sharing. Also that I'm not afraid. I'm proud of the fact that I'm not afraid. Yeah. Look what you've created from that space. And for your kids and then for all of the kids on the farm to be marinating in that sense of love, that feeling to face your fears, all of these things you're talking about. I just love that you're helping little humans grow with those ideas and with those feelings. And 
if more kids were marinating in that, what would this world be? I mean, adults as well, right? But if we can start younger, it's just that much easier. So it has been such an unbelievable honor. I know you are extraordinarily busy. I know it's very late where you are. And I am just truly honored that you chose to spend time with me, with my listeners, to share your story of true bravery, trusting your intuition, laughing at fear, having fun with fear, and just spreading love, spreading connection, being of service, just such beautiful things that you shared with us today. And I just want to say thank you. And if anyone is in Portugal and wants to meet this magnificent woman and experience the farm, it's about 45 minutes or so north of Lisbon in the Sintra National Forest, not far from a gorgeous coast. You are in for a very big treat. And I will put the details in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your kind words and your general humor and way of being. It's Aww. been really nice sitting Thank and chatting you. with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an amazing episode. Krishna is truly an inspiration for all of us who want to live our hell yes lives and change the world. Don't let this inspiration fade away. Take action now. Send me a message and share your big dream with me on Instagram at your hell yes life or Facebook at Zaya B. I'll be your cheerleader checking in to keep you going. For more inspiring stories, tips, and resources, check out other episodes of Your Hell Yes Life. Thank you for listening and being part of this amazing community. Until next time, remember, it's your life. Make it a hell yes. This is Zaya B signing off.